Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Here in in, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, Paul says, Of these things, put them in remembrance. He's writing here to Timothy, Timothy who is a leader in a local church, and he's telling Timothy to put the saints in that church in remembrance of some things. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. And verse 19 says, Nevertheless, The foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. You see the warning there about false doctrine. Um, Paul says that, that that word of false doctrine will eat as doth a canker. It's something that comes in and it and it corrupts and it takes away from the health and and vitality of the body of Christ. But you see why doctrine is so important, because if you aren't operating on the basis of sound doctrine, you aren't going to be doing the, the things that God is really caring about you doing today. And so in this passage where Paul is warning about these false doctrines, um, he also gives a key, really, to avoiding false doctrine. And you see it in verse 15. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, begins by saying, study. Study. And, you know, the Bible is not something that you can just, just you know, be very casual about. Uh, the Bible is something that requires study. And Bible study, really, technically, um, you know, sitting here listening to a, to a message on Sunday morning is not Bible study. All right, now I've done some Bible study and I'm, you know, presenting and preaching some things to you. Bible study is what you do when you go home and you take your Bible and you get it out and you not just read it. Now, reading the Bible is important as well. Right? Paul says in another place, give attendance to reading and to doctrine. Right? It's important to read the Bible and to be reading all of the Bible, but even just reading the Bible is not study. Study is where you're going to dig in to a passage of Scripture. It's where you're going to, to go in and, and, and learn about the words that are used and learn how that verse relates to the verses around it and how it relates to the rest of the Bible and what the, the application of that verse is. That's study. And study takes work. In fact, the, the word that's translated as study literally means to be diligent. But it's talking about being diligent in the study of God's Word. If the only time that you're spending in God's Word during the week is um, an hour, well, not even really an hour, about about 45 minutes on Sunday morning, if that's all the time that you're spending in the Word of God, you are not obeying this verse and and what this verse is describing for the believer. 
Uh, it says to study, to be diligent about that. And, and again, that study is on top of, of you know, just reading and, and those kinds of things and, and listening to preaching and, and that. Because if you're, going to be, if you're going to be inoculated against false doctrine that's out there, you need to have a grasp of the Word of God. You can't, you can't rest on somebody else's understanding of the Word of God. You can't rest on your spouse's understanding of the Word of God, or your parents' understanding of the Word of God, or your pastor's understanding of the Word of God. You need to get into the Word of God yourself and study. And he says, study to show thyself approved unto God. Now, you don't you don't become approved unto God by studying the Bible. That's not how you become approved unto God. There's, one, there's only one way to become approved unto God. You couldn't, you couldn't study the Bible enough to become approved unto God. But the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary paid man's sin debt. He shed his blood for the sins of mankind. And he was buried, and he rose again, and he overcame death and the grave. And that's the message of the gospel. And through that gospel, um, through, through faith in that gospel, is how one becomes approved unto God. You don't become approved to God by being more religious. You don't become approved to God by doing more good works. You don't become approved to God by studying the Bible. You become approved to God through the gospel, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. This verse does not say study to make yourself approved unto God. What it says is study to show thyself approved unto God. You know, you can be approved unto God as far as, you know, God having saved you, justified you, declared you righteous on the basis of the shed blood of Christ, and yet not show it to anybody. You could do that. But one of the ways that you show yourself approved unto God is through study of God's Word. In fact, I, I would say, I, you know, when it's not my job, it's not my job to, to, to determine whether somebody is saved or not, right? I mean, God knows, in fact, it, it said there that last verse that we read, that the Lord knoweth them that are His. The Lord knows them that are His. But certainly it's true that when you're dealing with people, you need to come to, to some kind of belief of whether you think they're a, a brother in Christ, or whether they're lost, right? And I'll tell you that um, somebody who has an, an intense desire to study and know and understand the Word of God, that to me is more of a testimony of salvation than somebody who is at, at church all the time. Now, going to church is a good thing, but you realize there's, people go to church for a lot of reasons. People go to church out of tradition. People go to church for, for a lot of reasons, but when somebody has an intense desire to know and understand the Word of God, generally a lost person has an intense desire to stay as far away from the Word of God as possible. You know, give me a few inspirational verses here and there, but, but uh, I don't want to have to actually know what that says. And so this is an individual responsibility study, and you see, in doing that, it says to show thyself approved unto God. And so... That desire, that desire for God's word is a testimony of salvation. Now that's not to say, again, there can be people who have a, a curiosity about the Bible who don't necessarily believe it. You, you can certainly have that. But um, you see, that's, that, that being diligent, Paul says, do that to show thyself approved unto God. And he says, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. 
a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Now, a workman is a laborer. A, a workman, I mean, probably the kind of workman he's talking about here would be a, be a, somebody who's, who's constructing a building or something like that. Go uh, put, a, put a mark here in 2 Timothy and go over to 1 Corinthians and chapter 3. A workman, if he's going to be a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, a workman has instructions he works under. Now, a workman has his skills, right? He has the skills that he's learned to be able to perform the work, but you can have all the skill in the world, and if you don't follow the the plan for the building, you're still going to be a workman that needs to be ashamed, right? Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, some some similar type type uh, wording is used. It says in in, uh, verse 9, for we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now here, uh, Paul talks about individual believers as being both the laborers and the building, right? So, so uh, you know, the, as an individual, you can be a laborer together with God, it says there. Now that's an interesting, that's interesting wording. For, it says uh, we are laborers together with God. That means there's some work for us to do, okay? And... It says, we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building, and the building that God is building is the church, the body of Christ. And that church, the body of Christ, operates on the basis of of doctrine. That's why, for instance, in in, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. And he lists those things that that believers ought to be united around. One body, one Spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And you you take every one of those issues, and those are all the issues that Christians are divided over. Those are the things Paul says we need to have unity over. Uh, And you see here in verse 10, it says, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me. Now, this is the Apostle Paul writing here. He says, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. Now, what does Paul mean? I have laid the foundation. Uh, Well, he tells you who the foundation is. Verse 11 says, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. But you know that the Apostle Paul, in the books of the Bible that God inspired through him, is given revelation about some things that you won't find anywhere else in the Bible. And so Paul can say of himself that he is the wise master builder. Not because of who he was, not because he was just this, this brilliant individual, which he probably was. But that's not the reason why he's the wise master builder. He's the wise master builder because God had committed some things to Paul. Paul puts them down here in these epistles, and Paul went out and established these, these uh, churches in his journeys, and he established them on that foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ and you know, all of what God had revealed about the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the finished work of the cross is not revealed in the four Gospels. All right? when, at the end of the four Gospels, when Christ ascends up into heaven, everything that God had to teach about what Christ had accomplished, and, you know, and even what Christ was going to accomplish, had not been revealed yet. 
And so through Paul, and that's why you've got nearly half of the New Testament written by this one man, the Apostle Paul, because God had chosen him for a, a special purpose. And that's the sense in which he's referring to himself here as the wise master builder. He says he's laid the foundation because God had chosen him to reveal these things about you know, the, the fullness of what Christ had accomplished. And so he says to, the, to these other laborers who are building on that foundation to take heed how he built thereupon. Uh, he goes on to, to describe, you know, the, the, he goes on to describe the gold, silver, and precious stones and wood, hay, stubble, and how every man's work is going to be tried and, and uh, all of that. That's a little bit out of the, the scope of our message for today. But... But you see that there's a foundation to be built upon. Everybody, every believer in Christ is a laborer building on that foundation. But you better be careful that you build in the right way. You better be careful that you build with the right materials. You better be careful that you build according to the plan. Um, let, me, let me give you another passage here. Go back to, um, go to 1 Timothy. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Start in verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. This is again Paul writing. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Isn't it good to know that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners? Not to save righteous people, because they wouldn't need a Savior, if there were any such righteous people. Um, Not to save religious people, but to save sinners. It's good to know that Christ came into the world to save sinners, because that means he came into the world to save us. Okay? And isn't it also good to know that Paul says, of whom I am chief. That that word chief means first, foremost. Um, If Paul says he was the chief of sinners, that means you're not the chief of sinners. You're not the worst of sinners. And if God could save him, and if Christ could save him, the chief of sinners, then he can save you. Good good things to know. Verse 16, now notice this verse. How be it for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now here, Paul refers to himself as a pattern. And he says, he says that in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering. Now, Paul is certainly not the first person to be saved in the Bible. Um, not by any means. You have people saved all throughout the Bible, thousands of years uh, before Paul comes along. You have people saved from the creation. What does he mean that in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering? You know that with the Apostle Paul, if you, if you follow the, the pattern of how people were saved through the Bible, when you get to Paul, there's something new that happens there. There's something new that happens there. It's not, it, uh, for one thing, um, even, you know, even just the pattern in the New Testament. Uh, for one thing, Paul is saved completely apart from the testimony of Peter or any of the twelve apostles. 
In fact, as Paul gives his testimony in Galatians chapter 1, he tries to distance himself from them in saying that the gospel he heard was not of man, neither by man. He said he he didn't learn it from man. He didn't learn it from them. Because God had a a different purpose for Paul. And again, again, here's something we don't have time to, uh, to go into in great detail. But you see, he says that in him first... Jesus Christ showed all long suffering as a pattern to them who would hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. And so Paul becomes a pattern for salvation after that point. There's a, there's a pattern to follow. Um, Paul, Paul in, uh, also in these epistles to Timothy, tells Timothy that he is to show himself a pattern of good works. Timothy is supposed to, in his life, demonstrate the, the doctrine of God's word through the things that he does and show himself as a pattern of good works. And so you see, you have in Scripture these patterns to follow. And you have the, the word of God that instructs with the, regard to how the work is to be executed. If we go back to our text then in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Verse 15 ends by telling you, by giving you the the proper way to study God's word, to show yourself approved unto God, and to be a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. And he says it's by rightly dividing the word of truth. The, The word that's used there that's translated as rightly dividing is a a form of the the Greek base word orthotomeo, which literally means to make straight cuts. It means to dissect. It means to to split into two pieces. Uh, One of the ways that that word was used in in the Greek language was the way that, that you would plow a furrow in a field and you're dividing the earth from the earth. Right, and um, it it literally means to to dissect to you know to this idea of separating things, and so rightly dividing is a literal translation of that. Now I want you to notice it does not say to rightly divide truth from error. It's not talking about just making a distinction between what's true and what's wrong. It says to rightly divide the word of truth. There are some divisions that need to be made in God's word. And if you're going to be a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, you have to understand those divisions or you're going to wind up following some instructions that were never intended for you. And so there's a, there's a, a right division of God's word. Now, most people would make a division between Old Testament and New Testament, right? And certainly there's a, there's a division in God's word to be made there. Uh, although realize that, that most of the time when people are using the terms Old Testament and New Testament, they're using that more as a term of convenience to refer to a, a group of books in the Bible. So when people talk about the Old Testament, they mean the books of Genesis through Malachi. When they talk about the New Testament, they mean the books of Matthew through Revelation. But realize that, that I mean, the Old Testament and New Testament in the biblical sense really mean something kind of different. Um, for instance, the Old Testament is the Old Covenant well, when, when did the Old Covenant begin? Not in Genesis 1-1 when God created heaven and earth. The Old Covenant doesn't begin until you get into the book of Exodus with, with Moses. That's where the Old Covenant begins. So is Genesis really a part of the Old Testament? Well, again, as far as the term of convenience goes, we refer to it as being Old Testament. But really, 
realize as far as the, the technical meanings of those terms, the Old Covenant doesn't begin anywhere in Genesis. Likewise with the New Testament. Uh, the book of Hebrews says that a, a testament is of force after men are dead. Right? With the Old Covenant, there was, a, there was blood. There was blood of an animal that had to be shed that joined them, joined Israel to that Old Covenant. Likewise, in the New Covenant, there's blood that has to be shed. And that blood is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So can the New Covenant begin in Matthew 1.1? Certainly not. It, can, it can't begin, the earliest it could begin would be near the end of the book of Matthew, or near the end of the book of Mark, or Luke, or John, when the blood is shed. Right, so realize those, are, those are, are, are somewhat terms of convenience, and again, there is certainly a division to be made there. But the reason that rightly dividing is so important is, again, as the verse says, so you can be a workman that need not be ashamed. Because you realize that there are instructions that God has given in his word that were meant to be followed by certain people at a certain time that aren't necessarily meant to be followed by you. Uh, the most obvious example would be animal sacrifice, right? And, and under that old covenant, and even before that old covenant, there was animal sacrifice that God commanded man to perform. And it was, a, it was a way of showing man the wickedness of his sins and showing him the judgment of his sins that this little innocent animal without any spot or blemish would have to die for that man's sins. And, you know, even just an average person under that, under that system would have had to, to sacrifice hundreds or thousands of those sacrifices in their lifetime. All right? And that was something God told them to do. And so if you were living under that, you know, in that period of time and you were a believer and you were going to be a workman that needed not to be ashamed, you were going to follow those things God had said about animal sacrifice. Now today, if you're going to be a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, you need to reject animal sacrifice altogether. Right? You see, there's a division to be made there in God's Word. There's some things that have changed from the time of animal sacrifice to make that no longer God's, God's desire for you to perform. And really, it would be completely against the will of God to try and approach God in that way today. Now, that's an obvious example. There's lots of other things that are much less obvious. Uh, you know, you think about matters like, should we, should we worship on Sunday or should we keep the Sabbath on Saturday? Uh, should we tithe? Um, should we follow the, the dietary restrictions of the Old Covenant? You, st you start to think about these issues. What about the feast days? Uh, and these are all matters where you have to rightly divide God's Word if you're going to, to really understand what God is interested in today and what God requires today. Let me show you a distinction here in God's Word as well that maybe will help to... to uh, point out some things about some of these divisions. I want you to get two passages of Scripture. Um, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 1 and also to Romans chapter 16. Luke chapter 1, we don't need to get a lot of context here, but the man who's going to speak here in, in this passage, and we're going to be down around uh, verse 70, um, is the father of John the Baptist. And he's speaking here after the, the birth of John the Baptist. 
And in verse 67, it says, His father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied. So these are not just the words of Zacharias, these are the words of the Holy Ghost, right? So this is absolute truth. This is direct, direct word of God. It's not just recording man's words. It's, it's literally the word of God. And what does Zacharias say? He says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, verse 68, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. Now, here the Holy Ghost, speaking through Zacharias, talks about some things that had been proclaimed by the mouth of God's holy prophets, which have been since the world began. You have prophets going, you know, going all the way back into the, the earliest chapters of Genesis. You have prophets, and so from the very beginning of the world, God had sent these prophets, and what the prophets were talking about, according to Zacharias, was a, a, a salvation of this nation of Israel from their enemies, okay, and, and that they were going to accomplish that. I mean, really, here you have John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is the forerunner of Jesus the Christ, who is going to wind up being that, that king of Israel. He's going to sit on David's throne. You see it talks there about a horn of salvation has been raised up in the house of, of David, and Jesus Christ comes from that line and lineage of David. And you have a message of the prophets from the beginning of the world about, really about a kingdom. Okay, even before Israel was a nation, you have a message about a kingdom and a king, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would reign over that kingdom, and it's a kingdom here, here on the earth. Okay, but let's compare that, and, and I just want you to pay attention to that wording there. He says, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. Now go over to Romans 16. And at the very end of Romans 16, I want you to notice verse 25. As Paul ends the book of Romans, he says, just in kind of the, the benediction, he's just, just uh, praising God here at the end of the book, and he says, Now to him that is of power to establish you, which is to, to stabilize, to ground, to, to keep you, you know, where you can stand firmly, uh, which also would be important in being a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. He says, now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Now notice, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. You notice the difference between that and, and uh, Luke chapter 1? There's a message that had been proclaimed by the mouth of the prophets since the world began, but there were some things that were kept secret since the world began. Now, those can't be the same thing, right? You can't have something that's been declared since the world began and kept secret since the world began. Uh, when it says that it's kept secret, it doesn't mean there that just man didn't understand it. There were certainly things the prophets taught that man didn't understand. Even the prophets didn't understand but when, when, and here's another, here's another study for you to do. Here's another word study for you. Um, just like with that word pattern, take a concordance and look up the word mystery and, and follow that through the Bible. And you'll find that the mystery was hid in God. Not hid in the scriptures like some puzzle that man just couldn't figure out. But there were some things that God kept hid in himself from the foundation of the world. 
Now, obviously, the fact that Paul's telling you about them here at the end of Romans, when he says, kept secret since the world began, obviously it wasn't kept secret anymore. He says, but now is made manifest. And you will find, and again, uh, just, just give you, just to spur you to study, you will find that in Paul's epistles, the things that he describes specifically as mystery, and that term in the Bible, mystery, means something that was previously kept secret, now it's revealed. When he uses that term mystery and applies it to some specific doctrine, you will find that it is a doctrine that you will find nowhere in the Old Testament, that you will find nowhere outside of the epistles of the man that God chose to reveal the mystery, which is the Apostle Paul. Okay? And you see, there are some things that God was revealing from the foundation of the world, and there are some things that were kept secret since the world began, but now are made known. And there's some division that has to be made between those things. And you need to understand the things that were kept secret and now are made known if you're going to be an approved workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today. And our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.